good deeds. Good deeds. The Apostle Peter wants our unbelieving neighbors to see our good lives filled with good deeds. And we've learned that he wants us to do those good deeds even when it hurts. Even when people want to hurt us for doing those good deeds. Last week's message was titled, To Suffer for Doing Good. To Suffer for Doing Good. I'm telling you right now that Peter is not done with that theme. In this passage for today, he's going to beat that particular drum once again. But he's also going to circle back to the major point of the first verse of our current set of memory verses. The part that comes before that verse about the good deeds. It's verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to what? Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I want you to think about those words as I read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 to you now. This is what Peter writes. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those that are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. I lifted the title for this message out of the last three words of verse 1 in your NIV. Done with sin. You see that in your bulletin? The inside back? Done with sin, which sounds either really good or really scary, right? Maybe a little both. I mean, it sounds really good to be done with sin. Oh, for that day when we are finally and fully done with sin forever. Amen? <gasps> Holiness forever. Done with sin. But when you read the words right before it, it can get a little scary. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Does that mean that it's going to take some bodily suffering to do away with our sin problem? So that if we're still struggling with sin, I don't know if you are, but I am, what we really need is some good old-fashioned torture or disease or whatever kind of suffering is on the menu. I don't think so. I don't think that's where Peter is going with this. I think the idea is more like our phrase, over it. Over it. We all use it, right? I'm so over it. How many times have we said that in the last couple years, right? I'm over it. I'm done with it. When I was writing my report this week, I said to Heather, by the way, pray for Heather whenever I have to write one of these reports, because just trying to capture a year 
is, I'm not good at it, and just, you know, so she absorbs that. Listen, not that I'm mad at her, like, at her. I'm, and she has to live with me, okay? So pray for her. And what I said to her this week was, dealing with COVID the first year was so hard because it was so new. And then it was so hard the second year because it had gotten so stinking old, right? Well, I think that's the basic idea here with sin. The, pro- the principle that Peter is putting forward is that the person who has chosen this kind of suffering for Christ is over it when it comes to sin. It's not that he or she is now perfect or sinless or never deals with sin in their life. Of course not. That's not the picture the New Testament gives us of our relationship to sin. It's that now he or she is, is not perfect or sinless, but that he or she has made a decisive break. Their love affair with sin has ended. The blush is off the rose. The shine is gone from sin. The priorities are radically reset. They are through with it. They are done with sin. Now doesn't that sound good? Not as good as it will get when we all get to heaven and what a day of rejoicing that will be. But the goodness of a new way of living in the here and now while we wait for the day to come. Done with sin. That's what this passage is all about. How do we get there? How do we stay there? I've got four points of application to try to summarize the teaching here this morning. Here's number one. Decide up front. Decide up front before the temptations ever come. If you're taking notes, that's number one. Decide in advance to be done with sin. Look again at verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now the therefore ties this directly to the passage right before this one. That, the one that we spent two Sundays Study, trying to get our, our minds around, especially verses 3 through 18. It is better if it is God, if, chapter 3, verse 18. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body. Familiar words, right? He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. You see how Peter is now coming back to that idea in 4.1? Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the ultimate unjust suffering for good. We've just sung about it up here. We can't imagine what he went through on the, at the crucifixion. Remember a couple years ago we studied the end of Matthew, and we said it just gets worse. It just gets worse. It just gets worse. And Peter said that he did all of that because he did all that. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude or or mindset. You need to have the same mindset as Jesus going to the cross. Now he says arm yourself. He's not talking about with a Glock or a Winchester or an AK or an AR here. He's talking about arming yourself with an attitude. We, we use the phrase, Curtis, your, your players use the phrase, getting your game face on, right? That's what you tell the players, right? Get your game face on. That's what he's telling them. Get your game face on. Prepare your mind. Get ready. 
decide in advance to have the same attitude as Jesus. What was his attitude? He said, I will suffer for doing good. I will suffer for doing good. I will suffer for doing... Remember how he prayed in the garden? Oh, Lord, is there any other way, Father? Take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. I am willing to suffer for good. That was his mindset. I'm willing to suffer as I do the right thing. That's the mindset we're supposed to have. Because Jesus did. He was our example. And we're called to follow in his footsteps. Another word here for attitude might be resolve. Have the same resolve as Jesus. Arm yourselves with the same resolution as your Lord. So decide up front. Now here's why. When you do that, it's much easier to be finished with sin. Over it with sin. Second, second, second part of verse 1 again. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because... He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, some Bible scholars have thought that the he there is Jesus. Since Jesus has suffered in his body, he has solved our sin problem. They take it to read that way. And that's a possible interpretation. That would make sense in the context. Some have thought that the he there is us in Christ. Because we are in Jesus, and Jesus has suffered in his body for our sins, we are no longer bound by sin. And that is true. It's, uh, I don't think it's what he's getting at. I think what Peter's saying is that if you have this mindset of Jesus, to be willing to suffer in your body as you follow him, then you have clearly chosen the side of holiness. You've ceased from sin. We're getting ready for a wild game dinner, right? And remember Wade Nolan, our wild game dinner speaker? Some of you got to hear him, some of you didn't. He spoke at our wild game dinner twice. He's now gone to be with the Lord. He used to talk about, people talk about sitting on the fence. Do you remember that? And then he would say, like, they're not in, but they're not out. And then what would Wade Nolan say about the fence? He'd say, there is no fence. That's right. There is no fence. You're in or out. And if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you're saying, I'm out when it comes to sin. The old writer Samuel Johnson famously said, when a man knows he's to be hanged in two weeks, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. You know you're going to die? What are you going to choose? When you say, I will follow Jesus, even, I must, even if I must be tortured for it, you're done with sin. Not perfectly, but genuinely. Are you willing to be tortured for following Jesus? He was willing to be tortured for you. In fact, this is what Peter says it looks like in practice. Look at verse 2. As a result... He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Decide up front to live for the will of God. Of course, even when we do that, it's still an uphill climb. Point number two is to make a clean break. If you're taking notes, that's number two. Make a break. 
Number one, decide up front. Number two, make a break with sin. Make a break with your past. It's interesting, isn't it, how this circles back to the first verse of our Hide the Word. Did you hear the echoes of 2.11? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Like he's reading my mail, right? He knows what's going on inside of me. And there's a war theme there, right? Arm yourselves. Here it is. There's a war going on. Arm yourselves and fight against the internal sinful desires. Don't live for them, but rather live for the desires of God. Make a break with your sinful past. Look at verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter says, you've had enough of that, right? You've had enough of the party-hardy lifestyle of your neighbors. Unbridled sex outside the covenant of marriage. Unbridled gluttony. Unbridled consumption of alcohol and other uncontrolled substances. Lack of self-control. Wild living. Now you might say, oh, not me. He's not talking about me. Maybe the sins of your past may seem more tame on the outside. Add your sinful desires to his list. You have spent enough time in unbridled worry. Unbridled greed. Unbridled deception and lying. Unbridled gossip. You've spent enough time in cold-heartedness to other people's needs. And swallowing down worthless entertainment and in loving the things of the world. Maybe you don't dive into debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. But your Netflix history says that you love to binge watch it. Peter says, you've spent enough time living like the rest of the world. And if I didn't hit yours, ask the Lord to hit it for you. You spent enough time on that. Peter says, remember, you're a foreigner here. You're in exile. Yes, you live here. And you have to do your best to love your neighbors and to fit in. But not like that. Not like that. You used to go in for all of that, but now you've changed. You're done with sin. Make a break. And when you make that break, don't expect that to go easy either. Number three is this. Expect attack. Expect attack. And not just from your own heart trying to tug you back in but from your old friends and your neighbors trying to take you down with them. Look at verse 4. They, the pagans around you, think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Anybody experience this? (laughs) Your old friends are not happy for you that Jesus has found you. They don't like how you've changed. 
They think you're now a goody two-shoes and you think you're better than them when you know that you are most certainly not. They actually can feel betrayed by you. They're shocked. They, they think it's strange. What happened to you? They're surprised at how you are living your life now as a foreigner in an exile. And what do we do with foreigners? We make them as uncomfortable as possible. We laugh at them, at their accents, at their different ways of doing things. Foreigners are often the butt of jokes. They are ridiculed and maligned. And Peter says, that's who you are in this story. You're the foreigner. Be the foreign guy living differently from the people around you and be ready for the abuse that goes with it. The world is going to say that one thing is normal and you and I are not going to conform to it. We say, I can't go there. I can go here, but I can't go there. We live by normal of the kingdom to come and it's upside down and inside out. It's different. And so there's going to be a tension with our neighbors, even though we're just trying to do them good. Be ready for it. If you haven't experienced this yet, just wait. It's coming. Sometimes it's their guilty conscience coming out. They attack you because they know down deep that they're doing wrong themselves, and they'll put pressure on us to conform. Come with me down. To go back to sin. To be done with holiness. Instead of done with sin. That's scary, friends. Sometimes it'll be subtle. And sometimes it'll be steamroller. I'm more concerned about subtle. Because I just give in. Little bits. Little bits. Little, little compromises. Now, if it's not happening to you, if you don't feel this pressure at all, then that should be a warning sign too. They don't think you're strange because you do just plunge along with them into the same dissipation and they heap praise on you. If that's your story, then beware. Because if we're living as we ought, we will feel pressure from the world to live like the world. And we'll be tempted at times to give up and to give in, which leads to our fourth and last point. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Decide up front, make a break, expect attack, and don't turn back. They might put all kinds of pressure on you. In fact, the pressure may be crushing. In fact, they may even kill you. Don't turn back. Look at verse 5. They heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, the world doesn't get the last word. There will be a reckoning. Sometimes it seems like there's no justice in this world, and there isn't enough justice in this world. But perfect justice is on the way. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Nobody gets away from this justice. Well, there is one way to get out from under justice, and that is God's grace through what Jesus did for us on the cross. The just for the unjust. 
to bring us to God. Verse 6, the judge is coming. For this reason, the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now that sounds a little confusing. And just like last week's passage, good theologians throughout church history have come up with different interpretations of what it might mean. It might even be like one of those interpretations like last week where Jesus is preaching to human spirits after their death about his glorious victory. The word now is not actually in there. There's no Greek word that corresponds to that. The NIV is interpreting it for you, trying to give you the sense of it by putting the word now in there. I think it is actually just saying this, and the now is right. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ was preached to people who came to believe it and then they died. Maybe even martyrs' death. So that they might have been judged according to human standards and came up short so that they were persecuted and condemned and even killed for living as Jesus wants them to, as Jesus himself did. But that was not the end of their story because of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, they live according to God in regard to the Spirit. They are more alive now than when they were alive in the body. You see that? Does that make sense? Because of the gospel, they live according to God in regard to the Spirit. They are more alive now than when they were alive in the body. And because Jesus came back from the dead through the power of the Spirit, we saw that last week, we sang about it, right? This morning. Victory in Jesus. These believers will also come back from the dead through the power of the Spirit. So you know what that means? Bottom line, it means it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Don't turn back. Don't let them bully you into going back into sin. They will have to answer for that. And because you belong to Jesus, no matter what they do, everything will be okay. Because even death is not the end. Don't turn back. I know it's hard. It is hard to live the way Peter wants us to, the way that God wants us to. But Jesus has shown us the way and walked the hardest path. He suffered in his body like we cannot imagine. Remember last year we wheeled out that cross that that Josh made, kind of covered with red paint to remind you of his blood. What he went through for us, we cannot imagine. And that not, that not only provides us with salvation, but also with the perfect example to follow, to arm yourself with. Decide now, decide up front to arm yourself with his attitude and make a break with your old life. What have you spent enough time in the past doing that needs you to be done with it? Make a break with it. And don't turn back. Even when they turn on you. Because as Jesus has also shown us, death is not the end. It's just the middle. <laughs> About ten years ago, you, you speak text talk. My kids have taught me various acronyms over the time, what they are, because they can talk really fast. Really, really fast. About 10 years ago, there was one that was Y-O-L-O, -O, YOLO. You know what I mean? What does it stand for? You only live once. 
You only live once. That's a lie. The world says it all the time. They get you to do what they want to do. You only live once. Come on, let's go. But we know that you only live once, and then there is a judgment. And then there's a whole other life. And for believers, it's a life of blessedness. And we're almost home. We're almost home. Death is not the end. The worst that they can do is kill you. And death's something that we're all headed for anyway. That was just his mindset as he went to the cross with the joy set before him. Arm yourself with that attitude and you will be done with sin.